As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. The Supreme Court has had a busy summer, loosening gun restrictions in states, overturning Roe v. Wade, and severely threatening our Miranda rights. I'm Leah Littman, and each week on Strict Scrutiny, I'm joined by my co-hosts and fellow law professors, Melissa Murray and Kate Shaw, to break down the latest headlines and the biggest legal questions facing our country. It's more important than ever to understand the repercussions of these Supreme Court decisions and what we can do to fight back in the upcoming midterm elections. Listen to new episodes of Strict Scrutiny every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm Dan Pfeiffer. Right here in studio, our own Dan Pfeiffer. Yeah, I tried to sneak a visit to LA in between variants. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I might have been a little too late. Dan was here for our What a Year uh, live stream, and it was the first time I've seen you in two years. Yeah, it's been since Super Tuesday. It was my last visit at this office. Just amazing. Well, it's good to have you here. It's great to be here. Uh, you're here for a show where uh, we talk about how Democrats outsmarted Mitch McConnell and the debt limit, uh, but are still trying to solve their Joe Manchin problem. See, nothing has changed. <laughs> um, right. Former Obama pollster Cornell Belcher gives us his read on how to frame Republican extremism ahead of the midterms. And Fox News suffers a critical casualty in the war on Christmas. <laughs> I'm, I'm just excited about that one. I'm sorry. All right. But first... A huge thank you to everyone who tuned into Crooked's What A Year live stream. You donated almost $60,000 to No Off Years, which goes directly to grassroots groups in swing states who are organizing and registering new voters. If you still want to donate, you can help us chip away at our goal at crooked.com slash no off years. And if you want to watch all of us embarrass ourselves on the live stream, you can check it out at youtube.com slash crooked. When is the Crooked merch store going to start selling Elon for president bumper stickers? Look, there were some great tweets. There were some great <laughs> heartfelt tweets uh, that we posted, that we were forced to post. And um, I love that game. We're, I want to bring that game out on the road when we do our tour. Cringe tweets? Cringe tweets. Okay. Because it's really fun posting a cringe tweet, knowing that you had to be you post a cringe tweet, and then watching um, people not get the joke. I've never had a more fun Twitter experience than that. that a bunch of people a... mad at me, but I knew that I didn't really care. because That was, was a, a low bar, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> best colonoscopy I ever had I will say people are still mad still <laughs> mad today two days later it's great it's great anyway uh, also check out the latest episode of Take Line where Jason and Renee talk to Hannah Kaiser of Yahoo Sports about the MLB lockout the news about Antonio Brown using a fake vaccine card and more new episodes of Take Line drop every Tuesday alright let's get to the news uh, here's something to feel good about Democrats have now defused the Republicans' threat to shut down the government, as well as their threat to default on our debt and crash the economy. Uh, this now clears the deck for the Senate to focus on passing the rest of Joe Biden's agenda. It's great, right? Uh, here's something to feel less good about. <laughs> uh, Joe Manchin is still a senator. And per usual, he's uh, giving interviews to reporters about the Build Back Better bill, um, which don't exactly inspire confidence. that He'll support the legislation, especially by Chuck Schumer's self-imposed Christmas deadline or ever. But we'll talk about that. Uh, and here's something I have no idea how to feel about. Senate Democrats are telling reporters that they may have a plan to pass voting rights and democracy reform with rule changes that don't involve abolishing the filibuster. How about they're smoking, you know? It's pretty. <laughs> sounds exciting. That's good. Um, let's start with the debt ceiling deal. Thanks to an agreement between Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell, 14 Republicans voted with 50 Democrats Thursday to allow a complicated procedure where Democrats can vote to raise the debt ceiling on their own. Donald Trump attacked McConnell over this on Hugh Hewitt's show. Here's a clip. I know you By lost way, your one brother. Thing I'd like to bring up uh, one thing I'd like to bring up. Sure. Uh, is the debt ceiling situation. So Mitch McConnell has the greatest 
hand. I know you lost your brother, but anyway, I, what I really want to talk about is the debt ceiling. What a what a segue. He's a human empath. How was the how was the interview? I woke up this morning and you were, you and Tommy it seemed like you had read the entire uh, Hugh Hewitt transcript of Donald Trump. It seems like it was a fun one. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I if you are down, Omicron got you down. Read this transcript. Don't listen to it because you don't want to have to listen to Trump or Hugh Hewitt. Yeah, the no. written word, the transcript is available online. It is so good. <laughs> it is just. Donald Trump's answers are <laughs> even more insane than you remember. <laughs> Hugh Hewitt, who you hopefully don't even know who is or care about, his questions are such a perfect mix of pretentious and obsequious. <laughs> it's, he's it's like, hard to get. It's hard to get that. Just he right. is name dropping random people you don't care about left and right. I mean, it is unbelievable. Didn't he say at one point, uh, I heard from someone that you're not only the best president for Christmas, but the best president for Israel and Christmas. He, he said, the, I'm going to paraphrase the, uh, the que- this is a question. Oh. <laughs> he, he said, I, last night I was at a book party slash holiday party by this person you never heard of, hosted by this person you never heard of, for this other person you never heard of. While I was there, this third person you never heard of, who you definitely <laughs> know Donald Trump, came up to me and I said, I am interviewing the president tomorrow. And this third person you never heard of said to me, you tell that president, you tell him that he was the best president for Israel and the best president for Christmas. He saved Christmas. Mr. President, what do you think about that? Unbelievable. <laughs> so good. So anyway, good. Anyway, enough about that interview. Um, let's talk about this debt ceiling deal. Why do you think McConnell agreed to the deal instead of forcing Democrats to raise it through reconciliation, which I was sure would happen? Um, and and I guess the second question we can take on later is, does this even matter? This does not matter. <laughs> this whole... I mean, like most ma- people will see that like, all right, we're not going to have a catastrophic yeah, that default. Matters. That matters. That's great. But then like how it got done, this complicated procedure, I'm sure people don't care about. But why, why do you think... I'm interested in McConnell. And why he did this. Well, I think McConnell genuinely does not want the global economy to collapse one week before Christmas because of Republican incompetence. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to be a political savant to recognize that's not super for your political brand as you head into an election in which you're favored. The whole thing speaks to how stupid the debt ceiling mechanism is and the conversation around the debt ceiling, right? Which is yeah. you have the an esoteric legislative measure to allow the government to pay the bills it's already spent. And the way this deal is, is they are, is it allow this esoteric legislative measure allows Mitch McConnell to claim a victory because Democrats will have to vote on a majority vote to lift the debt ceiling. But Republicans, so he claims a win. Republicans have to vote on a different esoteric legislative maneuver to allow this esoteric legislation. And then Democrats can care, can claim victory that they were able to avoid using the a process exactly like the one we're just using, but called reconciliation. I, it, it doesn't matter. The whole thing is so stupid. It's so stupid. I do th- I think the point you made about McConnell is the most important one, which is I think it it reveals that he believes he has a really strong hand. And like you said, if you're favored in the next election, and you're Mitch McConnell, you're thinking, I could be majority leader if I just don't fuck something up and give people a target yeah. um, to criticize. Like, oh, Republicans shut down the government or Republicans cause a catastrophic default on our debt. Like, he doesn't he doesn't need that. That's not advantageous to him. So if Ted Cruz gets mad at him, which Ted Cruz is mad and Lindsey Graham is mad and Donald Trump is mad, does it really matter if Mitch McConnell can just say, OK, let's focus on we're going to be able to attack them on Build Back Better. We are attacking them on inflation. We're attacking them on everything. Do we really need to have this fight over the debt limit right now when we're doing so well? Yeah, ultimately, when the debt limit has been used in the past, it has been used as a point of leverage to try to achieve some policy aim. Right. right? Massive cuts in spending in 2011. We know now Republicans have no policy. Yeah, that's right. Anymore. So they're like, <laughs> what, what are we going to do? Right. Yeah, they used to like cuts. Yeah. 
Isn't it though tied up in? I think they they, they inserted it in some bill that was a, would avoid Medicare cuts. And now I'm wondering if if of the, all the there were 14 Republicans that voted for this, but all the rest of the Republicans can we say that they didn't vote to uh, avoid Medicare cuts? I mean, theoretically, yes. I mean, it, <laughs> it, there are a set of automatic cuts to Medicare that go in if spending exceeds a certain amount, if I remember correctly from our days. And then all it takes is a vote to avoid it. But I think the big takeaway from this, based on Trump's reaction. The insane response from House Republicans over it is if Democrats do not keep the House, the first thing they have to do in the lame duck session is eliminate the debt ceiling mechanism for the remainder of Joe Biden's presidency because they're a ticking time bomb. Mitch McConnell, savvy enough to avoid collapsing the global economy. Kevin McCarthy? No, no no way. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, All right. So now Chuck Schumer says his next move is to hold a vote on Build Back Better before Christmas. Uh, But here's a sampling of what Joe Manchin said. Not at a town hall in West Virginia, mind you, but at the Wall Street Journal CEO Summit. Where else would Joe Manchin be? Quote, the unknown we're facing today on inflation is much greater than this aspirational bill we're looking at. Uh, He also said, quote, I said, let's take a strategic pause a while back. I still feel strongly about that. And here's what he said to reporters on Wednesday. Quote, we haven't even seen the complete scrub from the parliamentarian, and then we haven't even seen the final text, and they're still negotiating different parts of it, so we're doing what we can. But then he gave reporters a list of major bipartisan legislation passed by Congress in the last year, along with how much it all cost, to say, look how much we've already done. Uh, what is your best Manchinese translation of all that? And um, does this sound like a guy who's uh, ready to vote for Build Back Better? It makes me very skeptical that we are going to pass this legislation before Christmas. Yeah, which I don't. I mean, Christmas, whatever. Who cares? I mean, it was like Labor Day. Yeah. Veterans Day, Thanksgiving, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. But I think, I mean, (laughs) is there anything more designed in a laboratory to be annoying than Joe Manchin reading fallacious Republican talking points about inflation at a conference attended by the richest people in the world paid for by Rupert Murdoch. Like, he's just like, he's trying to he's make troll- us I, Yeah, sometimes I think he's really dumb and then sometimes I think he's just trying to troll us, but I can't tell. Well, I mean, you- Maybe his incompetence if, if, naturally trolls us it's without not even an, trying. It's not an either or. Yeah. Some of the most <laughs> successful trolls on the internet, Dan Bongino, yeah, they don't, they don't, the Trump children are particularly stupid. I want to talk about Schumer and, and the rest of the Senate Democrats though, because- I am not someone, I know you're not either, who thinks that like Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden and Senate Democrats can like bend Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema to their will by yelling at them, threatening them, whatever. Like these two people don't care about being yelled at by their colleagues and by Joe Biden because they feel like they know how to win elections back home. Maybe they're wrong, maybe they're right, but that's how they feel. But Chuck Schumer's walking around like... I'm so confident we're going to get this done by Christmas. I'm feeling great. Chris Murphy was on this podcast this week saying, like, I feel great about it. I think Joe Manchin's going to come around. I think we're going to get this done. We've interviewed a number of Democrats who've said this. Honestly, the only person who was maybe a little honest about the situation was Elizabeth Warren when I talked to her. And she was like, yeah, cinema seems like she's negotiating in good faith. Joe Manchin seems like he's walking around a, a grocery store uh, confused about which aisle he's in and what he actually wants on his grocery list, which was like, I think, the most honest part about it. But like, haven't the Democrats sort of let this expectation game get out of hand here? Like if Joe Manchin is really this down on Build Back Better, I don't know, isn't it t- time to start raising alarms here or am I just? Well, I think... The expectations management on this part of Joe Biden's legislative agenda has been horribly mismanaged, primarily by people in Congress, right? You have Bernie Sanders at 6.5 million, then we're at 3.5, and now we're at 175, and it's clearly going to be less than that. And just you're completely continually setting, like politics is not that complicated. You want to exceed expectations, not fail to meet them. And if you set expectations in an unmeetable place, you are setting yourself up for political loss. Now, the problem with this is, is this is where Congress and political messaging success run headlong into each other. Because what is sometimes good for your legislative process, which is move the Overton window, start at 6.5 so you can end here, is will get you a better substantive result. But the problem, I think, with that is, and we've dealt with this very 
you know, painfully with the Affordable Care Act is it ends up in a place where the final product, which viewed in a vacuum, would be a huge historic transformational win. And instead, it ends up being half a loaf at best. Or in this case, if I can do my math right, it's like 25% of a loaf, right? Some percentage of a loaf. Yes. But here's what I don't understand. And I know I've said this a million times already. Don't these people fucking talk to each other in Congress? Like, you'd think that the first move after the House passes Build Back Better and, you know, we had our problems in the House, but like at the end of the day, Pramila Jayapal and Josh Gottheimer and the rest of the gang, they all got together. They, they retweeted all, each other. They retweeted each other. They all compromised. They passed something. They all walked the plank and took the vote. You think the first step would have been Chuck Schumer going to Joe Manchin's office and, and Kirsten Sinema's office and being like, okay, what is it going to take to get this to pass? Well, I'm going to presume that happened. Right. Right. That, I, don't, I am I don't too. Doubt. I am too. So but then they're like, what are we doing? I imagine the problem is largely on Manchin's side. Like I'm sure he's saying, I need more. I need more. I need more. And I imagine you think that you think that they'd be like, all right, Joe, you need more. We understand that. We're willing to make more changes if you want. Just one thing, please don't go to the Wall Street Journal CEO summit and shit all over the entire bill two weeks before Christmas. At the very least, just keep your concerns quiet and let's talk about it. I I think one of the problems here, and this is this is the mansion problem, and it's even more. This is much more, even more mansion than cinema is. In the House, at the end of the day, there are disagreements on strategy and policy, but I I truly believe that everyone in that caucus, from Josh Gottheimer and Jared Golden to Pramila Jayapal and AOC, believe they are in it together. Yeah. And that they're going to rise and fall together. And so, that's how they voted and that's how they've acted, frankly. Right. Joe Manchin does not believe, and he's not incorrect, that he is rising and falling with the Democratic Party. No, he clearly believes it's advantageous politically for himself to place himself between the parties. At the end of that Wall Street Journal thing, they were like, are you going to change to become a Republican, which everyone asks him all the time? And he's like, no. He goes, but I feel like I'm in between these two parties. And oh, too bad. That's where I'll stand. You know, which he, I'm sure he just loves that. He loves because that's that makes him look reasonable and moderate back in West Virginia, which, you know, again, voted for Trump by like 40 points. Yeah. So. I mean, you think I should wear the Republican label? They think I should wear the Democratic label? I will wear... There you no go. Labels. There you go, Mark Penn. Uh, some Senate Democrats are pushing Schumer just to put it up for a vote and see what happens. Is that wise? I mean, eventually you're going to have to do that. Yeah. I mean, it is. But are we? Oh, I don't God. think you have it to. It makes me feel like we're just headed to a fucking, you know, reverse ACA repeal uh, scenario where Joe Manchin walks in and like McCain and gives his thumbs down and that's that. I mean, in part, you probably have to play the long game here, which is at some point you just have to call the question. Right. And if you fail, then that at least gives you something to go back and deal with or decide the whole thing is not happening. Because if let's say they, they call it and Manchin is a no, and then it's like, OK, where do we go from here? Do we is there a scaled back thing we're going to do? Are we going to move on to voting rights? But just living in this purgatory where we're just moving the deadline time after time after time right. is massively damaging to our political prospects for 2022. Yeah. I mean, one thing I tried to get out of Murphy when he was on is like, are these big changes or small changes that Manchin wants? Because sometimes you hear him be like, oh, I don't like the methane fee and I don't like this. And you can, okay, you can move that here and there. But then he starts talking about, I don't like that any of these programs have been cut down to three or four years instead of 10, because I believe that's fuzzy math because obviously these programs are going to be reauthorized. So we should count all that money towards the cost of the bill. And I think that's too much. And it seems like if that's his fundamental problem, that's going to be a hard one to get around. No, I mean, his problem is he says he wants a strategic pause. That which is not until, some... yeah, until what, November of 2022 when there's a fucking midterm. Right. I mean, I just think we also have to say, because it cannot be said enough, this bill is not going to make inflation worse. Every economist looks at it. It's a fraction of the federal budget. The Larry Summers, who are yes. worried about inflation, all these people, none of them think that it's going to. Yes. Yeah. And more importantly, because sometimes we get so like tied around the macroeconomic axle that we can't like common sense. If you give people money, <laughs> they're going to be able to pay for things that might be a little bit more expensive right now because they right. don't have to pay as much money for child care or elder care. And I think there's one thing that is looming over all of this is the child's tax credit expires on New Year's Eve. Right. So perhaps that's a forcing mechanism. Well, because, you know, Joe Manchin, passionate yeah, about advocate, helping poor children. Yes. Poor children. Um, OK, so here's an even tougher statement to translate. And this is about voting rights in the filibuster. This time it's from uh, Tim Kaine, Senator Tim Kaine to Politico. He said, 
Joe Manchin has made it very plain we're not abolishing the filibuster. But we're looking at a number of um, complaints that Democrats and Republicans have had about the way the place operates to see if we can restore it to operating better and do it in a way that would facilitate the passage of voting rights. The Hill also reports that Manchin himself has been talking to Republican senators about rule changes to make the Senate work better. How many edibles do you think Tim Kaine was on when he said that? Do you think it was like five milligrams, 10 milligrams? (laughs) Look, Tim, do, like, Tim Kaine is a very optimistic human being. He is. Now, there's a number of Democrats who said this to Politico that there's some. I, I I was trying to read between the lines on this one. There's something in the works where they think that they can not abolish the filibuster but still get voting rights passed. And I don't know why Republicans would agree to any rule changes that allowed voting rights to pass. I think that there is a general sense, bipartisan, in fact, that. Things are not working the way they should. It just around because they couldn't pass the. Oh, these people are bright. That's yeah, why they I mean, got elected well, to the Senate. <laughs> it took them not long <laughs> enough. But like the the defense authorization bill, huge bipartisan bill, could not pass it. They had to engage in some weird chicanery to get done because, and this is sort of Mitch McConnell's problem right now. And it's Mitch McConnell plus the Republicans that voted for the bipartisan infrastructure. Is you have a bunch of attention trolls in Ted Cruz and. Tommy Tuberville, right? yeah, all the people. And if you look at the Senate candidates for 2022, that's going to get a lot worse mm-hmm. come next year. So are there ways, and they've done this in the past to facilitate um, confirmations. Like for a long time, almost every appointment above a certain level needed 60 Senate votes. And they made a whole bunch of those in a bipartisan way, uh, non-Senate confirmable. You could, just, you could just hire them because the government was hollowed out because the Senate didn't have time to do these things. How that squares with something that would allow Democrats to stop Republicans from rigging the 2022 election, which would give them power, seems very hard to imagine to me. Especially as the maps are all getting drawn right now. Yeah, I, I can't imagine on the that. the redistricting side I, of it. I am sure that there will not be a ban, on, I mean, sad as this is, that if there was some sort of compromise-like thing that got through, I don't know how a ban on partisan gerrymandering could even be implemented at this point. Yeah. I think when we talked to some folks much earlier this year, it was around August or September was the view in which you had to get that passed. And it's not August or September. It does seem like they're talking about some modifications to the filibuster, like the it's got to be a standing filibuster. It's got to be a talking filibuster. You need 41 on the floor, right? Like there's all these other reforms. And the other thing that Kane said to Politico was, we're trying to put ourselves in the shoes of the minority party and saying, if we were, if we were in the minority, what changes to the Senate would we want uh, to the filibuster or to the rules of the Senate that we could still live with if, if, if Democrats were in the minority, which again, doesn't seem like it's going to be anything major. And I don't know exactly how it facilitates the passage of voting rights, but I guess it's all they got at this point. I mean, remember, you only need 50 votes to change a Senate rule. So you could, this is not a situation where we need all 50 Republicans to agree, mm-hmm. or even 10 Republicans. You could theoretically do it with a small Again, handle. you just need Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema to say, yeah, this preserves the filibuster, but it's also a rule change that I could live with. Yeah, I like. I think this is interesting. We should watch it. Tim Kaine is a serious oh, person. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. not popping off. Yeah, and but- I was joking about the edibles. Yeah, <laughs> to be clear, he- <laughs> Who knows? He could do what he wants. Virginia, sure it's, it's legal in Virginia. Is it? I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. But <laughs> point being, like, I think it's it's fair to have uh, some healthy skepticism yeah. about this. Okay. When we come back, we will talk to former Obama pollster Cornell Belcher about strategy for the midterms. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made In Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made In. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made In Cookware. Shop chef-quality pots and pans at madeincookware.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. You know, you know, you know. Have you been able to squeeze that special thing into your schedule, John? Yeah, that's. I think it's thanks to therapy. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it, Mm -hmm. more time for you. I, uh, you know, because we've been doing what a weekday. Mm -hmm. I actually put that in my therapy spot. 
you know, I, I replaced therapy with doing an extra podcast. Mm. It was a huge mistake. So uh, what do you spend time doing in therapy now? Well, now I brought therapy back. I added okay, therapy good, back good. to good. another time because uh, it turns out talking that's about... going to make the jokes better. <laughs> well, it's certainly going to make things better for the team. <laughs> <laughs> If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash PSA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash PSA. Why pick one city, one beach, one restaurant, or even one view? With Celebrity Cruises, you can have it all. Explore the best of Europe, the Caribbean, and Alaska with the best premium cruise line. And now get 75% off your second guest, plus bonus savings on select dates with Celebrity Cruises' semi-annual sale. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Offer applies to non-refundable fares and select sailing. Savings vary by stateroom category. Other terms apply. Visit Celebrity.com for details. Ships Registry Malta. This week, we get a preview of what we can expect if Republicans win back the House from human frat paddle Matt Gates, who said this week that he will move to install Donald Trump as speaker and make sure that this crew is in charge of investigating people they don't like. Let's hear it. We are going to take power after this next election. And when we do, it's not going to be the days of Paul Ryan and Trey Gowdy and no real oversight and no real subpoenas. It's going to be the days of Jim Jordan and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Dr. Gosar and myself doing everything to get the answers to these questions. Joining us to talk about what message and strategy might give the Democrats the best chance to stop this from happening, former Obama pollster Cornell Belcher. Cornell, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Uh, how do you think that an ad would do that warned voters about putting those yahoos in charge uh, of the House with Donald Trump as speaker? Uh <laughs> I think for I think for our 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 already likely uh, Democrat midterm voter, I think it, I, I think it will juice them. The problem is is we're going to get our asses handed to us because if we only have our likely Democratic midterm voter, um, and like look, you all are 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 students of, of political history the way I, I am students of political history, they, you know, there is a pattern here, right? And, and, and people want to beat up on Nancy Pelosi and, and, and Joe Biden all they want, as if though uh, Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden are actually the key variables here when history, and I know this is tough for people, but history tells us they're actually not. Because we've seen this happen to Clinton. We've seen this happen to, to Obama. Uh, hell, we saw it happen to George Bush. Um, so how do you break that? How do you break that dynamic of 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 the of the, of the midterm? And what we know historically from a midterm standpoint, and again, I'm gonna be a data nerd here, is 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 there you know there's an ebb and a flow, right? We get a flow on on term sort of on presidential year election, and we get an ebb back in 2010. You know that new huge majority of Americans who who said yes, we can, and voted for. For, for Barack Obama gave Barack Obama a majority um, uh, a, a majority victory didn't say you know what damn it that was a mistake I was wrong I'm gonna go vote the other way now but, you know that's not that's not what's happening is actually you you have two electorates you have one electorate that's older more conservative and less diverse versus a more younger uh, more diverse, uh, and more progressive audience fighting for the control of this country, um, and we saw, we've seen in in in, in t- 2010, and now you know history is lining up. This history is lining up just the way 2010 l- lined up. And the question is, how do we get in the way of that? And we can't get in the way of that if we don't have an electorate that looks more like the 2020 electorate and the 2018 electorate, right? I think that is a fundamental problem with that, with, I think we can, we can give it, we can sort of scare them with Matt Gates, but I think, you know, and it's because I'm an Obama Dean guy, but I, I think fundamentally for, for, for that younger, more diverse electorate that we need, we got to give them something to vote for. And I think if you look at qualitative research that I think sort of folks are doing all around the country right now, 
look, infrastructure and Build Back Better are really great pieces of legislation, but no one knows what the hell's in them and no one knows uh, you know, how it benefits, how it benefits them. Uh, just the same way that that Obama, Nancy Pelosi, and Leader Reed literally saved America from the chaos, uh, uh, you know, economic calamity in in 2000, 2008. Then got then we got our asses kicked in the midterm election. Um, I I don't want to see history repeat itself, but it's on track to repeat itself. So I want to talk a little bit later about sort of the positive message, because I do think, Cornell, as you mentioned, that's incredibly important to give people something to vote for. Obviously, in every campaign, there is a positive message and a negative message about the other party. Dan, what are your thoughts on the message about Republicans? And do you think there's any uh, any fodder there from Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and those folks? Well, I can see the ad, right? And it's there's ominous music, and then someone superimposes uh, Donald Trump sitting behind Joe Biden at the 2023 State of the Union, <laughs> yeah. and he's sweating and scowling. And then, you know, you see these videos of Marjorie Taylor Greene and all this, and, and I can see it trending on Twitter. I can already identify the people who are going to say, it would really upset TFG if this trended, and everyone retweets it. And like many ads that trended in 2020, it's going to fall on deaf ears. Because I do think the speak, I think the speaker, Donald Trump, is speaker, means nothing to anyone. Because even some of the most politically engaged people have no idea that the speaker of the house doesn't have to be a member of Congress. So I think that specific thing is going to fall on deaf ears. I think that there is a case that can be made about Republican extremism, mm-hmm. Republicans as a, as a danger. Because we have to give people something to vote for, but I think we also have to give them something to vote against. A reason to mm-hmm. believe correctly that the crisis that got them engaged in politics post-2016 still exists, even though Donald Trump's out of the White House. But I think that message has to be credible. And it has to be specific. It has, has to be something that is not easily sort of evaded by candidates who are less crazy than Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gosar, and Matt, Matt Gates, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, Cornell, you know, in every campaign, right, if you're the challenger, you want to make it a referendum on the incumbent. If you're an incumbent, you want to make it a choice between two visions. Um, how would you, what do you think the choice would be in the midterms that Democrats should lay out? One, I want to underline sort of what John was saying. I think, I mean, it's just uh, spot on. But I, but I also think there are bigger things at stake, right? And I think we got to get to what's the bigger, right? It's not Donald Trump. Right, it's, you're, you're, you're spot on. It's like like Donald Trump being the speaker is crazy shit that I think uh, <laughs> I think sort of makes people like us crazy. Uh, but I think we got to. What's the bigger thing? And I've said this before: is um, you know all those young people, you know, black, white, brown, who were marching in the streets, millions of young people marching in the streets before the last election. Uh, they weren't, and then marched to, to the polls and 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 gave Biden a majority, um, and flipped states that we hadn't flipped before. Especially if you look at Georgia, um, they weren't marching for bridges, roads, and broadband. And I think bridges, roads, and broadband are fantastic, but they're not mobilized. You like you 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 can't mobilize someone for a bridge, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's good government, but our, but people aren't mobilizing because for for bridges. Uh, so what's the so what's the big thing here? And I think there is something to be said about I don't know, guys, call me crazy, but maybe saving our fucking democracy, <laughs> you know, like they, yeah. like you know, and, and Purdue was let, let the kid out of the bag the other day talking about yeah, I would have been for the coup, right? I'm all in for the coup. These people are literally <laughs> trying to overthrow our democracy. I don't know about you, but I think. That's a pretty scary thing, the idea that democracy is going to end, especially for for people who look like me. Uh, you know, I don't think I like my chances if we're not a d- democracy. How I have a hard enough time in a democracy. I don't like our chances at all if we're if we're no if we're no longer a democracy. But I do think we can make the case. And, and actually, this is one of something I've been so fucking frustrated about progressives inside Washington about is, you know, if if progressives had stormed the Capitol and tried to overthrow the government, every day we would be hearing about it. Every It would lead every day on Fox. Um, 
because it would be a mobilizing thing for them. Um, it is almost like it's not even a big deal. Let's just, just move on. Um, but I think there is something bigger in a conversation about democracy and the chaos, right? I think there is a thing here about, especially with, with middle of the road voters, is to your point about giving, you know, is, is give them something to, to vote against. It is, if you look at what Republicans are doing in state legislative bodies, if you look at what they're doing around 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 uh, choice, um, they're seeding chaos, and they're making America a, a, a more dangerous place, right? Uh, chaos around you know chaos in our classrooms, school boards, chaos um, around around your they're trying to take away your rights. Uh, they're talking about you know they're trying to overthrow our government. Uh, it is, I think there is a, a fear piece here that Democrats can make an argument against Republicans and chaos and then being dangerous for the country and dangerous for our future that I'd like to see us unpack a little bit more. That's interesting, too, because you do see, and I wonder if you see this in your polling, um, in a lot of the public polls, you find more Republicans saying that democracy is in danger than Democratic voters. And I think partially that's a function, like you said, Cornell, of um, maybe Democrats aren't talking about it enough. I also wonder, too, where, you know, the threat to democracy animates us, animates a lot of activists, probably animates a lot of young people and people of color who marched in the streets and who volunteered and organized in 2020. I wonder about some of the less engaged voters, the voters who are sporadic voters, and, and, and specifically voters who tend to be young and communities of color and who come out sort of in the presidential elections and not necessarily in the midterms. Do you think that the threat of democracy is um, understood enough or is animating enough to those groups of voters? I think we've got to have the conversation because the truth of the matter is democracy is, is, is being threatened. Right. And I think if you, I think you've got to have the conversation with, with that, that younger, that younger, more diverse uh, electorate, and about the real threats to, to democracy. Look, we're you know we're in we're in political communications business. Um, define the debate, win the debate. Uh, if we're not defining the debate as as democracy being being under threat, quite frankly, Republicans are defining the debate as democracy being under threat to sort of um, uh, gin up their gin up their voters. Uh, and again, I've said this before, when Donald Trump says, I'm going to give you back your country, he's having a conversation about about the future. He's having a conversation, a different conversation that, than, 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 we are, than we are having. But I do think we can have a conversation about the real threats to democracy that, that we face and how we have the power to save democracy, right? One of the things that we see among young voters is there's a correlation between them participating and they think they have in fact the power to bring about change they think their vote matters i think there's a conversation with young voters about their democracy is literally being threatened by these people that you don't like that that people don't even believe in climate you know change and and want to take away your right to choice right to choose and don't want you to vote it's your democracy is being threatened and your rights are going to be pulled back away from you you have the power to change that. I think there's a conversation there that we can have with young people that I think is different and I think is important. I think there's, I think we've got to give our voters something to mobilize around. And again, I'll start where I start, where I, I, you know, I'll circle back around here. I love broadband. I love more bridges, but they're not mobilizing issues. Right. Dan, going back to, I mean, you talked about sort of the need to be specific in defining Republicans as extremists. Do you think the threat to democracy is a good frame here? And also, one of the challenges with what Cornell is talking about is Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema could stand in the way of passing voting rights and democracy reform. And if that happens, how do you instill a belief in the young people that Cornell's talking about that what they do actually matters? Because the risk here is a lot of people say, okay, I went out and voted. And I thought that that would protect voting rights and protect our democracy, and yet it didn't. So now, what's the point? You know, our friend Anat Shankar Osario always says that the job of the politician is not to tell people it's popular, it's to make the things they say popular. Yeah. And the fact that, like right now, you will test it, and Republicans will say they care more about democracy. Now, what they mean is they have either 
through some sort of motivated reasoning or Fox News or Facebook come to the belief that some unknown forces are stole the Trump from the election of Donald Trump and are going to steal future elections, preventing them from having this largely white party, the political power they see as their birthright. That is not democracy being they are that that is them believing that the shift to democracy is bad for them, not that democracy is at stake. But we have not, as Cornell points out, made the case yet. Like obviously with uh I'm very sympathetic to the fact that in a there's a different world where the Build Back Better bill was passed six months ago and we've moved on to other things and people have the space to make that case. But ultimately we have to. I think the the question here for us to figure out is how we define them in a way that is credible. And I think your point about, and I think it's one of the hesitancies among Democrats is they say democracy is a threat and then very engaged and completely correct people say, well, what the F are you doing about it? Right. And th- then the, 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 you know, whether it's Biden or the White House would, would say to you quietly, uh, but what, what do you want me to do about Joe Manchin, right? I can't make him right. do this. I can't make Kirsten Sinema do that. Are you not reading the things they're saying? But one of the things I think we have to do here is to shift the the locus of the threat from voter suppression to election subversion mm-hmm. and focus more on stolen elections, on what they are trying to do. Like whether you read that very long Atlantic piece, or whatever, it's like, the plan is happening all out in the open. They're being very specific about <laughs> what they are planning on doing. It's not a mystery. It, it, they are normalizing the country and the party to the idea that they will are willing to install someone who lost not just the popular vote, but the electoral college as president of the United States. And we have, I think if we focus on that threat, we shift some of our legislative actions, which may still fail to like the Electoral Counts Act and other things to deal with ele- election subversion, we might have more success uh, in that area. Yeah. Well, you know, Cornell mentioned um, David Perdue saying, you know, he wouldn't have certified the election uh, in Georgia. And I saw a lot of people tweeting about that last night. And they're like, this is why Manchin and Cinema have failed us. And they sh- we should pass voting rights and democracy reform. It's like, even if we passed the, the best voting rights legislation that we have, you know, without even all the compromises that we've thrown in, that wouldn't prevent David for- Perdue from running and saying that he wouldn't have certified the last election and that he might not certify the next one. Yeah, you know what we do? We don't elect David Perdue governor. We elect that, Stacey Abrams. Well, that's what I'm getting to the point. Yeah, the, the point I'm trying to make is it always comes back to trying to persuade the electorate in some way that Republicans are a threat to democracy and we are not. No matter how much legislation we pass, no matter how much we protect democracy, we're always going to have to do that work of persuasion. Um, Cornell, what are you hearing from voters about Joe Biden and Democrats in Congress right now? What's the what's the mood out there? <laughs> uh, here's the problem. They don't know. They don't they don't know what they don't know what Joe Biden uh, the, and Democrats in Congress have been doing. Um, and you see that you see that in public polling, right, where where where. Yeah. When you when you test uh, the infrastructure and build back better, when you actually tell them what it is. Yeah, they're all for it. Like 60 percent are for it. Uh, but they don't know. They don't know what 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 what's happening at all. They don't know what's in the infrastructure plan, uh, and they don't know what's in build back what's in build back better either. I mean, some of them have heard you know maybe a child tax credit, um, and quite frankly, some of them are are saying in folks groups, well, you know, are I think are are roads and bridges in in build back better? So, so it is a classic a it, so. You know, Democrats are very good at, at legislating, right? They're very good at governing and, and, and legislating. We have not been very good at selling uh, and connecting what, in fact, the bipartisan bill. And remember, everyone likes bipartisanship. This bipartisan infrastructure bill has done. And quite frankly, they haven't done a very good job. And again, I'm not beating up specifically on the White House. I'm not beating up on them at all because because this is this is a larger problem with 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 with, with progressives and Democratic side is that. Uh, guys, there's over 200 million people in vaccine in this country, right? Unemployment is at what 4.2, 4.3%. Yeah. Uh, this, you know, under the Biden administration, there's been more jobs created in the, in the first nine months than, than anyone in history. Um, you know, uh, you know, this stimulus checks been sent all over to, uh, you know, to, to, to millions of Americans. There is so much good sort of legislation in, 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 in this infrastructure bill is transformative and the Build Back Better, which they're now calling 
uh, what did they change it to, Dan? Was it Build America Better or something? And, and on this podcast, it's called the Jobs and Climate Bill. That's all we're going to call it. <laughs> yeah. Or or just, I've been just trying Joe Biden's economic plan. Yeah, it's, Let's try like, that. No, As a general rule, you should not name your signature legislative ag- agenda a tongue twister. <laughs> But but, the, but yesterday, I think they rolled out some different language around it. But anyway, oh God, I missed but yeah, that. But there are transformative, uh, uh, you know, pieces of legislation and policies in, in there and, and a lot of stuff around the climate. Um, you know, and the president did another executive order around climate the other day. And 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 then you look at and this is the real this is this is actually what's so bothersome to me but it also connects to my point about midterm election if you look at where the president's numbers have have taken sort of a notable nosedive it's among self-identified democrats right it, he, he's lost 11 or 12 points among self-identified democrats um he you know a couple of weeks back he was i think i think he was below 7% approval among african americans I, you know, I never had Barack Obama b- b- below 7% approval among African-Americans, right? You know, there's, we are failing to dis- to connect with our, with our own base of voters, with the voters who are actually for us. When you got, it, hell, if, if you didn't see a 12 point drop in his, in his job approval among self-ID Democrats, he'd be at a 50% job approval. Yeah. Um, so there is, there's something to be said here about we're not connecting with our own base of voters. And, and mobilizing them and preparing them to to come out for the midterm elections. Which um which provisions uh in Build Back Better or whatever the fuck it's called now um do you think are especially mobilizing for our voters? Because I know you rightly said that a bridge is tough to get people mobilized around. But are there Build Back Better provisions that you think are particularly helpful? Well, let me let me not be a let let me be really clear here about something. Uh, I think Build Back Better is is great government, and there's a lot of great programs in there that are about investing in people. Um, but I also think if if it does, if it looks like like Democrats and the Biden administration are not fighting fucking tooth and nail for for voting rights and for police reform, we got no chance. And now I'm just going to be really clear about that, right? You know, those young people, not just black young people, but white young people, brown young people, API young people, they took to the streets about injustice. And if we're not, I mean, look, and they don't understand filibuster, they don't understand the structural issues, but they also want to see that Democrats and Joe Biden are fighting for this, that they're fighters, that they're standing up and they're fighting for what they want them to fight for. I don't know if we can change the filibuster or not, but I damn sure believe we better be we better be we better go down in fucking flames fighting to get voting rights uh, passed if we want to we want to have a chance of mobilizing our base going into this midterm. Dan, what should that look like, barring you know persuading Manchin or Cinema to to get rid of the filibuster? Like, what does going down fighting look like from the Biden administration? I think I mean it's very very hard. Right. Because the Senate process, you always hear this all the time. We're like, they should hold votes on these things and that will be dramatic. And no one covers it. It takes like 36 hours and boring people speak a lot. Republicans have the capacity to delay the vote into the middle of the night. But I think it is like it is everyone in the party using what limited microphone they have to talk about, to raise concerns about. And that that frankly starts with the White House. Now, I understand this is my assumption. No one in the White House has told me this. The reason that they are quieter about this than we think they should is they still need Joe Manchin to vote for Build Back Better. So if they start hammering around on the need for voting rights and everything else, they put that at risk. And there's a sequencing issue here. The problem, of course, is part one of the sequence is taking forever and it makes it harder to get to part two. But I think is we you have to raise the concern. You have to speak with the alarm that a lot of people feel in this country about democracy and other people who don't feel it should feel. Cornell, do you agree? I do, uh, but but let me say this, and, and I, that that's 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 spot on. I, I do, but I also think this. You know, um, there's going to come a a a, a moment, uh, probably in early next year, where where Democrats are going to have to uh, 
you're going to have to cut bait or, or you know fish or cut bait here. Um, there, we're going to come to a head about the filibuster because I think there's enough Democrats, uh, even in the Senate, who are increasingly understanding that that it is not tenable for us to allow these states to remove our, to disenfranchise people and, and rig the system so that they can overthrow the system with, <laughs> with you know, and, and not have to have do a supermajority to do that, to allow us to lose democracy because of a Senate rule. I think there is enough Democrats um, in Congress right now who are going to say, I'm really when push come to shove, am I going to allow us to lose democracy because of a Senate rule? I have faith that, and I know I'm in the minority on this, but I have faith that that sometime next year um, uh, we're going to come to heads with this filibuster thing. And don't be surprised if um, if the administration isn't also leaning on 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 Democrat senators uh, to carve out an exception for voting rights. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I think that Biden sort of. Um, leaked out his position in the middle of a town hall with Anderson Cooper. Probably that wasn't the planned way to do it. <laughs> but I think I think maybe a big speech, maybe during the State of the Union, maybe some big push, maybe he has a bunch of senators behind him. I don't know what it is, but I agree. I think I think there needs to be um, a bigger moment on this. And, and uh, every Democrat, as you both have said, needs to use their uh, megaphone to talk about this all the time. Cornell Belcher, um, thank you as always for joining us here on Pod Save America and uh, be well and come back soon. It's always a pleasure. Folks, get out. We got to save democracy. That's right. All right. Take care, my friend. Thank you. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Good morning! Maybe it's a brand new Experience a different tomorrow with Norwegian Cruise Line. Book today and get 50% off your cruise to Alaska, Europe, and beyond. Plus, everyone can enjoy their vacation with free unlimited open bar, free specialty dining, and more. Visit ncl.com, call your travel advisor, or 1-888-NCL-CRUISE. Offer ends soon. Norwegian Cruise Line, ships registry the Bahamas and USA. Restrictions apply. The rest of my life gonna start today. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. All right. Before we go, we have a uh, very important update from the front lines of the war on Christmas, which has now tragically become the war on Christmas trees, Dan. The 50-foot pine adorned with 10,000 ornaments and 100,000 lights that stands proudly outside of Fox News headquarters was set ablaze by an arsonist late Tuesday evening. Fortunately, no one was hurt, and the culprit, a homeless man with addiction and mental health issues, was quickly arrested. But the patriots who work at Fox will never be the same. CEO Suzanne Scott called the incident a deliberate and brazen act of cowardice. Tucker Carlson decried it as an attack on Christianity. And Fox and Friends had wall-to-wall coverage of the fire. Take a listen. It's beginning to look a lot like arson. Who sets a Christmas Well, I mean, it's just part of the rampage. No city is safe. No person is safe. It's a tree that unites us, that brings us together. It's about the Christmas spirit. It is about the holiday season. Uh... It's about Jesus. It's about Hanukkah. The DOJ can tell you precisely how many Qurans were burned last year in the United States, but they don't keep track of Christmas trees. Why is that? Well, because they could care less. This is personal to you two at home now. The Fox Christmas tree vandalized. Arson. Arson. And that's personal to you. It's personal to us. This is an American icon. This is our Christmas tree. Right. 
don't worry, do not be deterred. We will not be. We're going to rebuild it. Absolutely. We're going to rebuild it and we're going to build it back better. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where to start. <laughs> There's so much good stuff in that supercut. I think the most important place to start is we do not support arson. No, we, we do are not support arson. We're strongly anti-arson. Well, that's why I said we're very happy that no one was hurt. It, I'm glad someone was arrested for trying to burn down a fucking tree. No one should burn down a Christmas tree no. or any other sort of tree. No. You, you burn down a tree, you get arrested, of course. And generally, I think, in this day and age, it's a bad idea to make arson jokes. But. 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 The reaction. It's less about, it's less about the incident and more about the way it was covered. Yes. <laughs> When the people who invented the war on Christmas for profit and partisan gain become chickens so are, chickens have come home to roost, they have become they? <laughs> so high on their own supply that they actually believe they were at Pearl Harbor. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, the attack took place uh, late on December seventh. Do you think that this will also be a day that lives in infamy? <laughs> 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 oh. I, I mean. All of this was good. I do think Tucker uh, Carlson wanting Merrick Garland to spend resources to go after people. <laughs> the rash of Christmas tree burnings that are apparently now out there. There's pro- Who knows? There's others. I like that. It's about Christmas. It's about Hanukkah. That's important. Yeah, of course it is. Um, it's personal to you. It's personal to you, right? But I still think, and of course, build back better. I still think nothing beats the um, now deleted tweet from Meghan McCain. Quote, I don't want to hear anything about how radical some of you believe Republicans to be when there are lunatics running around New York City setting Fox News Christmas tree on fire. Yes, Trump supporters are famously tamer than this one guy who burned down a tree. Uh, let's take a listen. Same thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Same thing. January 6th, you think December are, 7th. You think storming the Capitol, like a mob of, of angry people who are violent that stormed the Capitol is, is radical? Pfft, what about this guy who burned down a fucking Christmas tree? Not any tree. What about him? The, the, nas- the National Monument. An American is- icon. Just to inject a small note of seriousness here. Do you think Fox's reaction reveals anything about how, anything larger about how um, Fox or right-wing media operates? <laughs> yeah, ex- it, it is the, the, I mean, they could teach this in a class about right-wing media. It is find a grievance, turn it into a cultural war about themselves, become the victims, be completely full of shit through the whole thing. I mean, it is, it's... And as you become a victim, try to make the rest of America a victim too, right? There's, yes. like, a, there's like a patriotism thing at play here, right? That it is, oh, you know, America's a Christian country and there's an attack on religion, attack on Christmas, and there's also an attack on this symbol that we all love and it's an attack on you, right? Like, it can't just be Fox News is pissed about this. No, it's, it's all this of This is an attack on you and your values. And now all of your Christmas trees are at risk. Yeah, right. I mean, like we're, we're this was wall to wall. I mean, they did not talk. They talked more about this than they talked about the uh, horrific school shooting in Michigan. They never talk about the insurrection like this. They, I mean, it's just, it was a ama- it was so amazing to see how wall to wall coverage this was. I mean, I don't want a tree, a Christmas tree. I don't was wanna, on fire for a little bit. I don't want to go on all QAnon, but how do we know this was not a false flag? <laughs> You think Brian Kilmeade was out there? He's the guy. Yeah. You think, you think you think he you think he lit the tree on fire and then like handed the gasoline to some guy that he saw just to, to frame him? Yeah, exactly. That's, I, the, that's the conspiracy theory that I'm starting right now. Um, get that shit on Facebook right now. It'll be trending. <laughs> Let's get it going. Um, yeah, I don't have anything more to say about that. I just wanted Does, to. Do we need a moment of silence to end with? We do. <laughs> <laughs> well, they. Do. This wasn't because this is an audio medium. We didn't do this, but um, there was this great moment on Fox and Friends where they were like. Um, we're now going to play a montage of Christmas trees for you because we don't have ours anymore. And was so there it was great? Like, there was like an in memoriam of Christmas trees. Was it great Christmas trees in American history? The, I don't. I don't know. I think it was just a was bunch Charlie of Brown's Christmas tree in it. <laughs> anyway, look, we feel for you, everyone at Fox. We maybe we should send them a Christmas tree. Hmm. No. We're not. <laughs> all right, that's all the time we have. Dan, thanks for being here. I mean, come down again I, anytime. Perfect. Uh, And thanks to Cornell Belcher for joining us. Everyone have a great weekend and we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our senior producer is Andy Gardner-Bernstein. 
Our producer is Haley Muse, and Olivia Martinez is our associate producer. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to Tanya Sominator, Sandy Gerard, Hallie Kiefer, Madison Holman, and Justine Howe for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Milo Kim, and Amelia Montu. Our episodes are uploaded as videos at youtube.com slash crookedmedia. As a chef and a restaurant owner, I'm as meticulous about my cookware as I am about my ingredients. That's why I love Made in Cookware. Each pan they make isn't just designed to perform, it's crafted to last. As a mom, I love that I can trust Made in. It's made from the world's finest materials, so I can feel good about what I'm feeding my family. I'm Chef Brooke Williamson, and I use Made in Cookware. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers, 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25.